This is Coach Beverly with Just Talking About Life. I have a very important question for us today. What is your exchange rate? What is your exchange rate? In, in life, we give up what we cannot keep or what we do not want to keep in exchange for what we want, what we need, what desire. Every day we are changing our life, our soul, for something. We can regard everything in life as an exchange of value or trade. For example, we labor at work for our organization in exchange for money and prestige. We exercise and work out in exchange for a healthy body. We interact with friends and relatives and loved ones and we treat them well in exchange for their love, their affection and friendship. Let us see, the person who drinks excessively and spends hours at the bar can exchange that habit or that have lifestyle for more family time, nurturing at home and saving financially instead of spending. When we hold to hurt, negative feelings, and an unforgiving spirit, we can exchange that behavior for the peace of God and probably our own forgiveness. We read in Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 which says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We need the mercy of God in our lives and cannot trade it for anything else. Let me help you see the result of real exchange. I've got one US dollar. I sent it to my friend in Dominica in the Eastern Caribbean. The recipient will receive $2.68 in Eastern Caribbean currency. If I send that dollar to a friend in Trinidad, the person will receive $6.78 in Trinidad currency, while a friend in Barbados may receive 50 cents. Barbadian dollars, Bajan dollars. A person would exchange the same US dollar for $154.50 in Jamaican currency. You'll observe that the dollar remained the same, $1, but its value deferred depending on the exchange rate in each country. As I said previously, we keep on exchanging as life continues and the rate defers. What would be your exchange rate if you had to exchange your life for something better? Let's go to the Bible. There I encountered some people whose exchange rates were quite exorbitant and even sacrificial. Moses was the son of Amran and Jochebed of the tribe of Levi. He was born in Egypt during the period when the Israelites, the Hebrews, had become a threat to the Egyptians simply because of their persistent increasing population. 
The Pharaoh ordered his men to throw all newborn Hebrew boys into the Nile. He made the decree because the Hebrews, the children of Israel, were becoming so mighty and formidable. He had to put a stop to the rapid population growth. Therefore, he placed the Hebrews in the hands of taskmasters who worked them mercilessly. When that scheme did not make the difference he anticipated, he demanded that the midwives kill every boy child delivered by the Hebrew woman. The midwives feared God and did not follow through. And so the numbers of the Hebrews increased. Amram and Jokibed came up with a strategy. Not theirs really. I think it was orchestrated by God and the Holy Spirit. They hid their newborn son in the house until it was too difficult to keep him much longer. You know, all little children as they grow up, they are in everything, talking, laughing, crying, screaming, and just enjoying themselves. So the mother decided, I've got to save my son. What must I do? She got a basket, made it waterproof, putting tie in it, securing it so it could be still floatable. And she set her son in it and set the basket among the tall grasses in the Nile. Meanwhile, his sister Miriam hid and watched over the baby from a distance. This is the river, the part of the river where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe every day. That was a regular bath. While there on that day, she observed the floating basket, a sight she had not seen before. She had never seen a basket out there. So she asked her maidens to investigate. They went out and pulled at the basket. And when she opened it, she saw that beautiful baby and heard his cries and she rescued him. Then she named him Moses. She named him Moses, meaning drawn from the water. That baby fulfilled her desire for a son. And she ensured that this boy had the best of everything befitting a prince, including, of course, Egyptian education. The Egyptian princess couldn't take care of the baby. But remember, Miriam was watching. She ran quickly to the princess and asked if she could get someone, find someone who could take care of the baby. The princess consented. So she ran home and fetched the baby's mother. The baby stayed with his biological mother throughout his growing years. I can only imagine how well and how much she taught that boy about the God of heaven, the God of the Hebrews, the God on whom they waited to deliver them. She did not know God's plan, nah. At the appointed ten, 
Moses was brought back to Pharaoh's palace. He grew up amid the splendor of the Egyptian court as Pharaoh's grandson. And he was grown to manhood. He knew of his um, Hebraic roots and he shed deep compassion for his confined relatives. He was groomed really to be the next Pharaoh. Everything was set for him. But listen, by faith, by faith, when Moses became of age, he made a grand exchange. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And you'll get in Hebrews 11, 23 to 27, which says, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, greater than riches, than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked for a better reward, a better reward. So by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. Moses' exchange rate was to leave, to forsake the splendor and the prestige of the court of Egypt and what it would mean to him and for him and side with the people of God. What grand exchange rate. In the book of Esther, we meet a young Jewish woman living in the Persian diaspora who finds favor with the king and becomes queen. The queen previously had become drunk on wine and commanded his then wife Vashti to come out before his lords and all the people he had gathered around to parade her beauty. But Vashti refused. King Xerxes was so angry at her disrespect that he listened to the advice of his counselors and divorced King Vash Queen Vashti. Then he called for a nationwide pageant to select a new king. Well, Esther was among the virgin out there then, so she was taken to the citadel and she found favor with Haggai, who had responsibility of preparing the women for meeting the king. Esther went through the ordeal, all through the preparation, but she was careful not to tell anyone about her nationality because her uncle Mordecai, the one who groomed her, the one who nurtured her, the one with whom she lived, had warned her not to reveal her nationality just yet. The king found Esther the most beautiful, the most attractive, the most engaging contestant, and he placed the crown on her head. Esther continued to hide her Jewish background throughout the ups and downs in the, in, in the palace. Her uncle Mordecai knew 
that it would not be in her best interest if anyone found out just yet that she was a Jew. In the king's court was a man named Haman. He was above all the princes in the province. He ordered a decree that everyone should bow to him. He felt so big, Mr. Big Stuff. But Mordecai refused to comply. Haman was so annoyed with Mordecai's attitude towards him that he had the king, I would say, unwittingly side with him to set up a date for the extermination of all Jews. I'm not killing one, I'm killing all of them. Because maybe they're all the same. Sometime later, when sleep eluded the king, the king could not sleep. He asked for the books in which are written the things that take place in, in, the, in the province. And he found out that Mordecai had saved his life. What did they do to honor Mordecai? Nothing was done yet. So he, with the help of Haman, the man who hated Mordecai, Mordecai was greatly honored. After that, Haman was so enraged. He was so desperate to destroy Mordecai that he conspired to go further. Not only would he destroy Mordecai, but he would destroy all the Jews among the people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the king's province. To make his claim legitimate, he told the king that these people did not keep the king's laws. Therefore, they should be destroyed. King Ahasuerus did not see into Haman's deceit. And he gave him and his signet ring to solidify the decree that the king's scribe had written through Haman. The decree became law in the province. On hearing the news of the impending destructions of destruction of the Jews, Mordecai sent word to Esther stating that she should go to the king to represent her people, the Jews, and save their lives. Esther responded that it was not her time to go to the king. You don't just go to the king, you have to be summoned. Mordecai informed her that when the decree became effective, she would not be spared. He urged her by telling her further, Yet, Esther, who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this? God had made her queen to save her people. Esther was hesitant, but after she consented, and here, my people, her exchange rate, I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She was willing to die to save her people. Esther risked her life, exchanged her life to save her Jewish people from destruction, from total annihilation. Esther's exchange rate was to jeopardize her life to save her people, the Jews.
What have you exchanged? What have you got to exchange? Are you willing to make the exchange? Many areas of our lives are an exchange where we are constantly faced with choices, choosing one thing over another. Every morning we are faced with a host, we are bombarded with a host of options. And the quality of the choices we make tell the quality of our lives. God says through Paul in Romans 1.23 that we are exchanging the glory of his immortal and great God for something lesser. We are replacing the creator with the creature. Christ with the created thing. The created may be something extraordinary, yes. It may be something needed, yes. It may be something of intense value, yes. But should we exchange the creator for an, a created object? With God, we have access to the source, to the producer, to the manufacturer, to the originator himself. Why make the exchange and choose the object over the greater one? This is the type of exchange we make continually when it comes to God. As his servant, we must make an intentional examination, self-examination. Am I replacing God's presence through prayer and Bible study for television, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Netflix, or what have you? Am I giving up the help I should give to someone in need to keep a few dollars in my pocket, my purse, my pocketbook, my wallet, or what have you? Do I neglect reaching out to the needs of others? People who need me to spend time on my couch doing nothing? It's time to start reviewing and exploring our exchange rate and our relationship with God. Do you want to live on wasted years only to realize that in the end you exchanged your life for things that perished and what you are holding on to has gone and has of no value? You have the opportunity now to exchange your life and give it to the eternal Father the ever-living God. Today, you have the opportunity to stop, stop in your tracks, pull back, and examine your life with greater intensity. Stop trading the ex and exchanging your soul for things that do not profit. I live with you. These two verses in Mark chapter 8. Verses 36 and 37, which says, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about it, my friends. Think about it seriously, intentionally, and prayerfully. An answer. What 
is my exchange rate.